Hey, uh, yesterday we had a cool time here. We had child dedications. We had three families and five kids that were dedicated. We had a great time. It was great to see family and friends here. And so we celebrate with those families this morning. But uh, as we kind of think about kids, uh, how many of you have ever been to the circus before? Anybody? Uh, probably a few of us, maybe every single one of us. Like it's an amazing experience, right? You've got these animals that are there, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. You've got these elephants, and you just see this huge, big, wild creatures doing these incredible feats. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing to watch. And then there's the people. You have the, the clowns. And the clowns sometimes can be really funny, and other times they can just, they're not funny at all. They're just a distraction. Uh, but, but my thing is, uh, how do they get like 45 of those clowns in one of those little tiny cars? They're just able to do it, right? And then the trapeze artists. You ever watch them? I mean, these are some of the strongest people you ever see. Some of the most athletic people. And I'm like, how do they not die doing what they're doing? But then there's something else that's there. And this is probably my favorite thing. We're going to put a picture up here on the screen. The globe of death. I think they changed death to something else because I wasn't PC. So they, they changed the name there. But you watch this right here. And if you've seen this part, man, this is my favorite part. Because they get a few motorcyclists and they get in this little round cage and, and they start spinning around in it, right? And it's like, wow, that's incredible. How are they not running into each other? How are they not hitting each other? How are they not crashing? And they're like, wait, we're not done. And they'll bring a couple other motorcyclists and they'll throw them in there and they'll do the exact same thing. And you know, you're like, man, this is amazing. But then they'll throw like two more. There'll be like seven, eight motorcyclists spinning around in this thing, going every which direction. And your mind is kind of blown, isn't it? Because how do these people do this? How can they get in this thing in these motorcycles and travel at great speeds, going in circles and not hit someone else and not crash? I mean, it is incredible, incredible entertainment. But that's why we love the circus. Uh, that's why we love seeing magicians or going to watch comedians or going to the movies. It's all for entertainment. And we love entertainment because it makes us laugh, it makes us cry, it makes us think, or in the end, it absolutely amazes us. Now today, we continue a series called The Bad Boys of Easter. And in this series, we're, we're looking at the last week of Jesus' life, but we're looking at Six characters that we really don't talk about a whole lot. We kind of pass over them. And, and they are these bad boys of Easter. Now, some people are like, are these good bad boys or bad bad boys? These are bad bad boys, okay? Now, there's not a whole lot of good here. And they're so influential in everything that takes place in the last week of Jesus' life. And so we're looking at each one of these characters every single, every single Sunday. And as we do that, we're also asking ourselves, do I see myself in here? Because when we look at each one of these people, here's what we find. There's a little bit of you and me in each one of them. And so we have been started this series last week. And again, this will take us up into to Easter. Uh, this week, the bad boy we're going to look at, he is looking for Jesus to amaze him, uh, to entertain him. And yet in the end, he's actually really disappointed because Jesus, Jesus doesn't meet his expectations. We're going to be spending our time this morning in Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, starting with verse 4, it says this, says, Pilate turned to the leading priest and to the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Then they became insistent, but he is causing riots by his teaching wherever he goes, all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. 
Pilate's not our bad boy today. Pilate's going to be our bad boy next week. But we have Pilate. He interrogates Jesus. He finds that he's innocent. And he really just wants to send Jesus away. Well, well as you see here, there's religious leaders. We talked about them last week. They haven't gone anywhere. They're basically following Jesus wherever he goes. And so they're there. They're pushing Pilate even harder to, to get rid of Jesus. Uh, the Jewish leaders, they actually can't, they can't make death happen for Jesus. They need somebody in the Roman government to do that. And so that's why they've gone to Pilate. But they just keep making up more and more accusations towards Jesus. Here's what we read in verse 6. It says, oh, is he a Galilean? Pilate asked. When they said that he was, Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas. Because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction. And Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at that time. As they're having this conversation, Pilate asks this question. He's like, so is this Jesus guy, is he from Galilee? And these religious leaders say, say yeah, he is. Well, Pilate wants nothing to do with whatever is going on between Jesus and these religious leaders. He, he's trying to pass him on. He knows Herod Antipas is there in Jerusalem. He knows that he's the ruler over Galilee. He knows that he's there for Passover. And so Pilate's like, I'm just going to kind of wash my hands of this, and I'm going to send Jesus to, Pilate, or to Herod. Herod can take care of that. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about this guy whose name is Herod and known as Herod Antipas. Now, let me kind of give you a little background here about this particular Herod. I don't know if you remember when Jesus was born... Uh, there was a Herod that went out and said, hey, here's the deal. I want you to, to kill all the boys under the age of two because there's this king that's been born into the, the Jewish faith and, and Jewish people, and we need to get rid of him. Well, this is Herod the Great who does that. This is the guy that Herod Antipas calls dad, all right? So you can only imagine what that was like for, for Antipas to grow up in that environment. Well, Herod the Great dies, and then Israel is actually split into these three different areas. Antipas is given this area of Galilee, which is on the northern end of the nation at that point. And then he's given this little place called Perea, which is, is to the east of the Jordan River. He's got two actually pretty, pretty good places, if you look at a map and kind of understand some of the trade routes at that time. Well, he rules over this area for about 35 years. Now, when you look at Herod, his personality, the way he ruled, man, he would have fit so well right here in the D.C. area. I mean, seriously, he was, he was known to be a go-getter. Uh, he was known to be a, a goal setter. He, he was someone who was skilled organizationally. And then he was building stuff. Like, he just built stuff all the time. There was always construction, always building projects that he was, he was leading. Uh, in fact, over the time that he was in power, he actually built three cities. Now, this is the way he kind of functioned when it came to the business and ruling people. But when it came to him personally, he kind of lived life like a playboy. He wasn't a sociopath ruler like his dad. He wasn't caught up in all the, the, the regulations and rules and laws and the bureaucracy like a lot, a lot of people would have been. He, he lived his life and he lived it for the fun of it. And so this is who he kind of was on a personal level and, and how he led and what was important to him. But let's talk about him ethnically. Who was this guy? Well, he wasn't Jewish, and he really wasn't Roman. His mom was a Samaritan, which meant she was half Jew, half, half Gentile. His, his dad wasn't Roman, but he had studied in Rome. And, and as he was studying in Rome, he had studied under this very famous Jewish orator at the time. And so he, he had this, this Jewish background that was there, but it was very loosely Jewish. Most of his leanings were, were toward the, the ways and, and the ideas 
of the Roman culture. And so when it came to faith, because he's overseeing this, this nation that's, that's full of, of Jewish people, when it came to faith, it was about really enjoying the festivals. It was about the parties more than anything else. It really, for him, it wasn't about living out the laws of Judaism. And yet here we have him. We find him here in Jerusalem, not because he's being a faithful Jew, Again, he's there for the atmosphere. He, he's there to party. He knows some of his people have come down. They, they're pilgrims in Jerusalem. He knows they're there, and he's there to please them so they can see him there. And so in this setting, Pilate sends Jesus to this guy named Herod because Jesus is from that area of Galilee that Herod oversees. Now what happens as they are together as Herod interacts with Jesus? Look at verse 8. Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him and had been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. Herod knows who Jesus is. Uh, and as we see here, he's been waiting for this moment to, to meet him. He, he's heard about Jesus' reputation. He's heard about his teachings. But more than anything, he's heard about these miracles. And that's exactly what Herod wants to see. He wants to see Jesus perform a miracle right there in front of him. And so this sort of a, a trial begins. If you look at verse 9, it says, He asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. So we have Herod, and he's throwing out question after question, peppering Jesus with all these questions, kind of like your kids do when they're at home, right? Peppering him with question after question after question. And Jesus, what does he do? Jesus doesn't do a thing. He stands there. He's quiet. He's silent. He never speaks. Now, there's possible reasons why Jesus did this. One may have been that he looks at Herod and he really sees him not really as a leader at all. Maybe, maybe Herod is, isn't really that important. He's a nobody. And so maybe that's part of this. I, I kind of think it, it may be a, a, another angle here. This is the Herod who had Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, beheaded. And so I wonder if there's this part of Jesus, because Jesus is God, but he's also human. I wonder if there's this part of him that he just has no respect, and, and maybe he's still struggling a little bit with what's, with what's happened to, to John the Baptist. Now, no, we really don't know, but for some reason, Jesus never says a word back to Herod. Verse 10, Meanwhile, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law stood there shouting their accusations. Again, these religious leaders, they do not go anywhere. They're like gnats that just keep showing up and you don't know how to get rid of them, right? It's kind of how they are. They're always around and they're piling on with more and more untrue accusations. All for Herod to hear this. But here's the funny part. Herod could care less about the accusations. He didn't care that the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders have said, hey, he's been blasphemous. He didn't care about that. He doesn't care about all these formal charges that, that these religious leaders were given to Pilate. He doesn't care about that. He didn't even care to, to try this case. There's one thing Herod wants. He wants to see Jesus do a miracle. He wants Jesus to entertain him. But Jesus doesn't talk, and he doesn't do a miracle. He just stands there. So Herod gets bored with Jesus, and here's how he responds in verse 11. It says, Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. 
Now, if you look here, Herod doesn't engage in brutality, doesn't engage in violence towards Jesus. We saw that a little bit last week with the religious leaders. We'll see this a little bit more in the next couple of weeks as we talk about this, our, our bad boys of Easter. What does Herod use? He uses words. He's like, hey, Jesus, if you're not going to entertain me, then I'm going to entertain myself with you. And so he begins to mock Jesus. He begins to ridicule Jesus. Uh, he, he begins to insult Jesus along with his, his soldiers. And so he uses his words. But at the very end of that verse there, we find that he finishes all this off by putting a robe on Jesus. For Herod... He had never actually been declared a king by Caesar. However, he wanted people to treat him like he was a king. He wanted people to address him as a king. And he wanted to play the part as a king. So he would dress like one. You'd find him often wearing these white glistening robes like, like kings would wear. And so as we see this part right here, in the end they put this robe on, on Jesus. It's probably one very much like the ones that Herod would wear around. White, sparkling, kingly, royal. Herod was done playing with Jesus. He puts this robe on him and he sends him back to Pilate. Look at verse 12. Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies before, became friends that day. There's a couple of reasons there was tension there. We're not going to talk about that. Not important to what we're talking about today. But that, that, that gesture to Pilate... It meant that Herod was expressing goodwill back to Pilate. And there hadn't been goodwill there for some time. Um, also, it was kind of like Jesus is a, a punchline to a joke. By, by sending Jesus back with this royal robe, it's a signal to, to Pilate that Herod also thinks that these charges against Jesus, that there's no substance to them. That in Herod's mind, he's like, this isn't some king. This isn't some guy leading riots. I mean, he, he's innocent, and this guy is not dangerous at all. And so it's kind of funny to me that Jesus is the one who brings these two enemies together. As we look at Herod, and actually as we, we look at every person we're talking about over these six weeks, there's this question we're asking, what can we learn from these individuals? And for today, the question is, what can we learn from Herod about ourselves? And so as we look at Herod and his experiences with Jesus, what I see is that Herod has these expectations of Jesus. He expects Jesus to answer his questions. He expects Jesus to, to do the, this miracle. And so he has these expectations of Jesus. And so as I kind of think about that, and how do we connect with Herod here? I think there's a bigger question for us to ask. And that question is, what are my expectations of Jesus? As you think about your life, as you think about this connection to Jesus, what are my expectations of Jesus? We finished up a marriage series a couple of weeks ago. We called it Rumble Strips. And the very last week, we were talking about these MWDs, right? The married while distracted. There are distractions that we have in our life that are distractions in our marriage. And so we have to deal with those things. Uh, the last week, I, one of the things I offered to you or talked about were my expectations, right? That we have expectations. That when we get married, we bring these expectations into this relationship. And so we take those expectations and we put them on the, the shoulder of our spouse and we're like, here, I need you to carry this for me, right? It's a burden is what it really becomes. I need you to carry these expectations, and I need you to make these expectations come true. I need you to fulfill these expectations for me. 
And so is any wonder that, you know, many times there's tension within our marriages because we put these expectations on the shoulder of, of our spouse. We could do this with any relationship. I don't care if it's your spouse, somebody you work with, a close friend. We have these expectations and we put them on them. I really don't think it's any different when it comes to our connection and our relationship with Jesus. That for so many of us, we, we have this, this connection with Jesus, but we're like, hey, Jesus, here are my expectations of you. That if this is going to work, if we're going to be connected, you know, if we're going to be best friends, if we're going to hang out, hey, I've got all these expectations, and here's what I need you to do, Jesus. I need you to fulfill these expectations for me. And in reality, I don't think we're any different than Herod who had these expectations for Jesus in this time that he's meeting with them, you and I have expectations of Jesus too. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time, I want to look at three expectations I think are pretty common to us. Um, there, there may be more. I could probably add more here myself. You can probably add some for yourself. But I want to talk through each one of these expectations uh, for the rest of our time here. Here's expectation number one. We expect Jesus to fulfill all of our requests. We go back and we look at Herod, and he's pretty blunt, and he's pretty blunt. He's like, hey, Jesus, I need you to do a miracle for me, and I need you to do it right now. See, here's Herod who's saying, Jesus, this is my expectation of you, that you're going to do what I ask you to do. How many of us treat Jesus the exact same way? That here's kind of how we see Jesus. It's like we go to the beach, you find a bottle, you pick it up, you rub it, and genie pops out. And the genie says, hey, your wish is my command. And so we're just throwing all these things at the genie, and the genie's answering and giving us all these things we wish for. And it's, it's like, oh, this is amazing. Now, that really doesn't happen in true life, does it? And yet, too often, I think we treat Jesus the exact same way. That for us, Jesus is this genie in a bottle. And when we need something, when we want something, we rub the bottle and Jesus pops up and Jesus is like, hey, your wish is my command. And we go to Jesus like, hey, I need you to do this for me. This is what I want from you right now. I need you to fulfill this request for me. I'm not going to lie. Wouldn't that be great if that's the way it worked? Like you don't like your job? You go to Jesus, rub the bottle, Jesus pops up. Hey, what can I do for you? Here's the deal. I need to change jobs. And then poof. Right? 30 minutes later, you get a new job, you get a new title, you're making more money. Amazing. Or think about your marriage. Right? You don't like your marriage. So you ask Jesus, change your spouse. Not get rid of your spouse. Change your spouse. Change my spouse to be more like me. Hey, look, Jesus, here's my love language. My spouse is the total opposite, which tends to be the people we marry, right? They're the total opposite. Can you change this? Make their love language the same as mine. Then poof. 30 minutes later, your spouse's love language is the exact same as yours. And that house has never been so clean, right? You've never spent more quality time with your spouse in your whole life. And for others of you, you've never been touched and loved on so much, you can't even, it's like being in heaven, right? Wouldn't that be amazing if that could happen in our marriages? Maybe we get a little bit more serious here. What if you have cancer? What if you have a loved one who is dying? Wouldn't it be great to go to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, hey, I got one more miracle for you. I need you to heal me. I, I need you to save this, this person I love. And poof, as those words leave our lips, you're healed. And the person that you love 
They're back to normal. Wouldn't that be amazing? Because I can tell you what, that's the kind of Jesus I want. That's the kind of Jesus I'd love to have. That's the kind of Jesus that would be great to say, hey, Jesus, here's what I need. Here's what I want. I need you to do this miracle. And Jesus is like, poof, got it. I'll take care of that for you. But that's not the Jesus we have. And that's not why Jesus came to this earth. But for some of us, when Jesus doesn't answer that, that prayer or doesn't do that miracle, we act very much like Herod. Hey, Jesus, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. You didn't fulfill this request that I had. And so really, you know what? You're really worthless to me. And now it's time for me to move on. Could be that's the expectation we have of Jesus. Or here's expectation number two, that we expect Jesus to entertain us. How does this happen, right? How does Jesus exist to entertain us? You're thinking, what are you talking about? Because, you know, I look at my bill and I pay for Netflix and Hulu and I pay for HBO Max and I pay for YouTube and I pay for Showtime and I pay for Amazon Prime. And we got all these movie channels, TV channels, but there's no Jesus TV in there, is there? And so you're like, well, I don't understand this. How, how can Jesus, our expectation be to, that Jesus entertains us? You know where that happens? It happens here. It happens in this place we call the church. And then one of the reasons for a few of us, maybe many of us being here, is that we are here to be entertained by Jesus. What does this mean? Here's what I'm talking about. I show up, I, uh, I help a little bit, I serve a little bit, I, I, I give a little bit. When the band's up here, I want them to drop some sweet beats that I can kind of get a little groove to, and I can sing with the songs. Uh, the person who's up front, they're giving the message, you got to make me laugh a little bit. You also got to kind of play with my emotions. You, you got to make me think, make me a little bit more knowledgeable. Give me a little something to think about as I go through the week. And, and so we show up here looking for entertainment. what it is many times. And, and oh, by the way, I've got kids and they're downstairs. And here's the deal with the kids. Um, you know, I want that group of people down there to watch them, to teach them. And oh, by the way, can you please entertain my children for the hour that I'm here? But that's just it. I'll give you an hour, and I want you to entertain me. And so we show up at church, and I'm afraid too often we're here just to be entertained by Jesus. Or this could happen outside this setting on a Sunday morning. Maybe it's in a neighborhood group. You're like, hey, Jesus, I gave you that hour on Sunday morning. Hey, thanks. This week you entertained me. Last week, not so much. Uh, you know what? Here's the deal. I'm going to my neighborhood group. It's going to be an hour and a half. I kind of expect the same thing. I'm going to give you a little extra time, Jesus, to, to, to entertain me this week. Or maybe it's being in a serving team. Maybe it's going on mission trips. Or, or maybe for some, you're like, I mean, I kind of get this church thing in this setting, but, but I love house churches. I really want to be a part of a house church and a house church network. And, and it's going to be together and we're going to be intimate. We're going to be in this little space and we're going to do life together. It's going to be amazing and, and it's incredible. But too often, it doesn't matter how we do church. Too often we find that the reason we're there is we expect to be entertained. In whatever setting it may be, are we looking for Jesus to entertain us? Then when Jesus isn't transforming our life the way that we think he should be transforming our life, when I'm at this point where I'm trying to follow Jesus, but it just seems way, way too hard, 
or, or everything I do or say, I, I'm trying to be more Christ-like, but it's just not working. Our focus can be on Jesus. Why aren't you doing these things? I'm giving you an hour. I'm giving you two hours a week. I'm giving you three hours a week. I'm giving you some of my time. Jesus, if you can't keep my attention for that period of time, then you know what? It's time for me to move on. And I look at Herod here, and I think he sees Jesus like many of us do. That we see Jesus as just entertainment for us. Because Herod here, he's not looking for a transformed life. He's not looking for guidance. He's not looking for wisdom. He just wants us to be entertained. And maybe for some of us, we have that same expectation of Jesus too. Which then leads me to this third expectation. We expect Jesus to be our king. I hear that, and you're like, oh yeah, that, that's what I want. But, but let's think through what happens here in this last week of, of Jesus' life. And, and we look at a scripture. He is there, he's here on earth to be king, right? It's why he's in Jerusalem during Passover week, to be a king. It's why we have this triumphal entry a week before he's put to death. He's here to be a king. That's why as he's coming into Jerusalem, people are singing and they're singing all these kingly and royal songs. It's because he's here to, to be this king. That's why at the Last Supper, his disciples are arguing about who's the greatest and who's going to have the best position in this new administration. Why? Because Jesus to them is there to be this, this king. That's why there are all these illegal trials that are happening and these false accusations because he's there to be a king. It's why Herod puts this robe on him. Because Jesus was here to be a king. And so the expectation of everyone that's around Jesus, every single person almost that we come into contact with, Jesus is here to be this king. Even Herod, again, is stuck looking at Jesus and thinking, this guy is supposed to be this king. And yet standing right in front of him is this man who is probably beaten, um, worn out, emotionally tired, I'm guessing probably spiritually tired, and, and he's, he's bound with his hands and probably his feet. And, and so here's Herod who's looking at this guy who's standing right in front of him and he's asking these questions. He's giving him an opportunity to say why he's going to be king. He doesn't answer a question. He gives him an opportunity to do a miracle which would, in his mind, probably change his view of Jesus, and Jesus doesn't do that either. Jesus, or Herod wants him to, to almost be this king, but he knows as he looks at him, he's like, this guy's not a king. There's no harm to me. There's no harm to the Roman government. There's no kingship that's here. And, and so he thinks this guy is not who he says he is. And for many of us, I think we're like Herod and the people. We look at Jesus and we say, hey, I want Jesus to be my king, but really Jesus is just a, a means to an end. And when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations when it comes to suffering or to the tensions we have in our relationships or to direction or in life or to answering the prayers that we have, you name it, we're kind of like Herod and, um, and the people. And we say, hey, Jesus, you're not the king that we thought you were going to be. And so we're going to move on. I love how Eugene Peterson, author and pastor, put it. He says, Jesus does not always meet our expectations that does not always give what we ask for or what we think we need. When he doesn't, we feel let down, deflated, disappointed, 
or we surf to another channel on the TV, or we try out another church that will hopefully give us what we ask for. I read these words, I think about what Peterson writes here, and I think about how I see Jesus. And could it be that my expectations of Jesus are wrong? Could it be that I see him as a genie? Could it be as I see him as an entertainer? Could, could it be I see him as this, this earthly king who's supposed to be here to fulfill everything that, that I want or fill, fulfill the things that earthly kings are supposed to do? But that's not who Jesus came to be. And in fact, we read that in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think about the history of um, the Herod dynasty, and it was about 140 years that it lasted. And I'm sure everyone that was a part of that family that was connected to this group of people were thinking, we're in power, and we're going to be in power for the rest of, of life, right? That, that until humanity is no more, we're going to be in, in this, this role to, to lead and, and to rule, and that's what most people think, we're in the, they're in those roles of power. And yet as we look back, they're just footnotes. That's all they are. They're, they're footnotes in, in history. And yet here we are, we, we look at Jesus, he shows up, and the expectation is he's going to be this earthly king. But Jesus doesn't meet their expectations, right? Doesn't meet the expectations of the rulers as a king, doesn't meet the expectations of the religious leaders, of the people around him. And so Jesus really kind of, in their minds, he lets them down. What do they do? They just move on from Jesus. But look at the kind of kingdom Jesus talks about. Look at the kind of kingdom he said, I'm going to lead. He said, I'm not here to be served. If you're a king, if you're a ruler, if you lead, often you're like, hey, you serve me. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve came to serve, and the king of that kingdom still exists today, and the king of that kingdom still lives. That king of that kingdom is the one that you and I are called to follow, and I believe if we saw Jesus as that king, not an earthly king, to entertain us, to be our genie, to fulfill all these things that we may be looking for, I think with that kind of king, we can live the kind of life that God has intended for us to live. Not to be in a place where we're looking for Jesus to serve us, but we're asking the question, hey, Jesus, how can I serve you? Or, hey, Jesus, how can I serve others? Because Jesus showed us what that looked like. Because a couple of days, or actually a few hours after this, Jesus is put to death. And he's like, I'm going to show you what servanthood looks like. I'm going to show you what this, this looks like for, for me, for you. And now I want you to live the kind of life that I'm showing. I want you to, to serve others, to sacrifice yourself, whatever that may look like to serve the world around you. I think that's the kind of king that we have been asked to follow. And so as I think about the, the story of Herod and his interactions with, with Jesus, and I think about these expectations that we have for Jesus, it, it brings me to a couple of next steps that I believe we all can maybe take one of these in our own life. The, the first one is to answer the question, what are my, my expectations of Jesus? Because you got them, right? I mean, I've got expectations of Jesus too. Is Jesus, are you here to entertain me? 
Jesus, are you here to be the genie that, that answers and fulfills all the requests that, that I have? Jesus, are you here just to be uh, some means to an end for me, to, to give me what, what I ask? What are my expectations of Jesus? And here's another question. Uh, are my expectations realistic? Or he, here's an even better question. Are my expectations, are they scriptural? Because maybe these are expectations I've put on Jesus that <laughs> we don't find anywhere in Scripture. And as we ask ourselves that question, maybe a good follow-up is, what might I need to change? Because I'm guessing if you're like me, sometimes our expectations of Jesus aren't why Jesus came. And if that's the case, what do we need to change? And then the second step, I would say, is to make Jesus king of your life. Uh, for some of us, we, we say we follow Jesus and we're doing everything we can to do that. Hey, maybe it's time to spend more time developing and maintaining certain practices in your life uh, that, that make us more aware of the presence of God. Now, I'm going to say this. Sometimes I think these are ways that we can, we can use to entertain ourselves with Jesus, okay? Because we might say, hey, I pray, I read scripture, I journal, I do this kind of things. But we've kind of have the, here's my 15 minutes, I'm going to put that in. And it's like Jesus kind of entertain me, connect with me here, and then we're done, and then we forget about it, right? I, I'm talking about doing everything we can to be in the presence of God which I do believe is reading the scripture, uh, praying, journaling, resting, being in a community with each other, serving each other, being generous with what we have, helping those in need, not thinking, hey, somebody else is going to take care of that. Because too often I think that's kind of the expectation. Hey, Jesus will take care of that. And maybe it's us needing to jump in and to be there for someone else. And then for others, maybe you've never taken that step. Maybe you're trying to figure out this Christ thing, this Jesus thing, and, and you're like, I, I don't know what my first step is. Hey, one of the greatest spiritual steps you can take in your life is to be baptized. And on Easter Sunday this year, we're doing a baptism service. And if you've never been baptized, man, we'd love to see you take that step. Maybe you just have questions about baptism. You don't really understand it. Hey, let us know. We'd love to answer those questions and kind of walk you through it. Because it is this moment where we say, hey, I am all in. And I believe it's also this moment we say, hey, Jesus, I don't have any expectations of you. It's now, what do you need from me? Because you are my king, and I want to follow you fully. If you want to take that step of baptism, if you're in here, there's a connection card. You can fill it out. You put it in the box in the back or out in the lobby. And you can take a picture of that QR code. I think the second or third one down, the link down, you can fill that out for baptism. If you're online at home, there's a link that popped up. You can fill that out for us. We just love to have that conversation about what baptism's all about. Because maybe it's time to say, you're all in. Because here's the deal. Too often, you and I, we're more like Herod. And we need to be more like Jesus. And let go of these expectations we have of Jesus. And just do everything we can to be in the presence of Jesus. Every waking hour that we live. Are you fully surrendering yourself to Jesus? Are you still holding on to these expectations? Maybe it's time to let them go and give all of you to the true king of humanity.